Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. This podcast contains content that some listeners may find upsetting. Raquel has had her name changed to protect her identity. According to the United Nations, in the world today, 77 countries criminalise same-sex relations, with seven of these potentially punishing those caught with death meaning that people from the LGBT community in these countries literally fear for their lives. You can't go back, because you go back at the airport, they'll get you. And in the UK, many faith communities still ostracize, reject, or even try to convert LGBT members of their congregation. I just put my sexuality in a drawer and I just shut it and I threw myself into church work and my faith. So for some Christians, their sexuality means being able to worship freely and openly simply isn't an option. You can't just come out and say, I'm gay. No, it can't happen. But in a small understated church in London, some of these people have finally found a sanctuary, a shelter from the storm. I'm Lucia Skedzokyo. Welcome to the story. So this is the first of our series of four Pride services, and as it says, today's topic is freedom from persecution. So what is persecution? Anybody? I am Reverend Jack Davis. I'm an ordained minister within Metropolitan Community Churches. Has anybody seen on Facebook recently there's been a... I've been involved with MCC since 2002. And it's an American sort of college thing. Within MCC, to be an ordained minister, you have to have a master's degree education in some kind of theological subject. I chose to do pastoral theology and I did my training at Heathrop College. Um, it's a Catholic college. Very interesting first interview with the convener of the course. He said, um, you do know we're a Catholic college, don't you? I was like, yes, I do. He said, um, you don't have a problem with that, do you? I said, not unless you have a problem with me being a lesbian, no. He said, no, we don't. I said, OK, then we'll, we'll be all right then. Pray for the Lord. Pray for the Lord. You are the one for us to see. You are the truth. 
I think it was more worried about my theology in terms of my evangelical free Christian background. I think that's what he was actually driving at. When I was about 12, there was a guy from the church who used to come and do this thing called Sunshine Corner and it'd come once a month to the estate I lived on in the community centre and I started going to the church and I remember the very first day I walked through that door I could see, not, not obviously with these eyes, with my glasses, but I could see Jesus moving among the people of that church and I just felt this is home. Because in the community that I'm from, being LGBT is very much frowned upon. The person I was most afraid of coming out to was my dad. And thankfully, in some senses, my dad died before I came out. My dad died when I was 24 and I came out when I was 24. I was beginning to know who I was, you know, as a teenager, I was beginning to grow and beginning to realise that my feelings were more for girls than they were for boys. I remember being hauled up and being warned about the dangers of lesbianism. And at the same time, there was a boy that I was seeing. We'd, we'd been going out together on and off for a couple of years. And we were on an off time. He got together with somebody else in one of those off times and she became pregnant. Our church was very right wing, very conservative, very evangelical. You did not have sex before marriage. It was forbidden, not allowed. So we didn't have sex at all. But clearly himself and his new girlfriend had had sex because she became pregnant. And they kicked him out of the church. I just thought at the time when he needs us most, he's about to become a dad, he knows what he's done wrong, he's not stupid, and you've kicked him out. And I just thought, you know what, if that's the people of God, you can stick it, I'm going. So I left, because I knew as well there was going to be more coming about the whole lesbian thing anyway, but that was the kind of straw that led me to leave the church. I just thought, if this is how you treat people, coupled with how I think you're going to start treating me, I'm not staying. So I left. Stayed away from church for 18 years. And then with my first wife, we were sat in bed one Sunday morning reading Diva magazine. And there was an article about this queer church. Well, that wasn't called a queer church, but that's what we said. It's a queer church. It's a church for queers. It took us a year to go. We read that article in 2001 and we went on Palm Sunday 2002 and there was that, I'm home, I'm home. You know, there was lots of times in the intervening years where God had sort of tapped on my shoulder and, you know, because I was a leader in the Evangelical Free Church. I was a Sunday school leader uh, and teacher and very much felt called to ministry. But obviously during that intervening 18 year period, I, I was like, yeah, okay, over to you. I can't see how that's going to work, given how most churches I know feel about people who are queer. So, over to you, off you go. My name is Mark, I'm a Christian gay man and I was very much interested in the whole topic and issue of how people manage their Christian identity and their gay and lesbian identity. Heaven, 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 heaven.
I'm one of the musicians at the church, so I play two or three times a month, actually playing for the services. And the sung worship is what I can facilitate through playing very enthusiastically <laughs> and loudly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was brought up in your typical Welsh kind of non-conformist tradition. I find my faith a comfort and it was also something which was and is very real to me. As I developed, you know, as a musician as well, I, I, I enjoyed playing for church. I enjoyed singing, <laughs> talking about stereotypes. I've, I fit the Welsh stereotype in that sense. When I kind of hit the age of about 16, 17, and the issue of my sexuality sort of came more and more to the fore, I kind of realised that there was something that was different about me. And for gay Christians, the issue is what narratives can a person who's been brought up or is in sort of evangelical tradition, what stories they tap into to create their own story and how that affects their identity. So basically I, I looked at this and what I actually found was that there are two kind of narratives that gay Christians kind of tap into. One is faith and this tended to be, especially in the evangelical tradition, a very assertive narrative. It declares what you are, you can't negotiate with it. And same-sex attraction, which then is storied through, again, lesbian narrative. What I found is that there's the evangelical community which says, oh, you know, you can't be gay or lesbian and be a Christian. And then the other group is formed in opposition to that, where you have gay and lesbian people saying, no, you know, we are Christians too, but we are gay and lesbian Christians. And so then it sets up a kind of mimetic cycle where one is pushing against the other. And rather than realising or acknowledging that same-sex attraction doesn't define who you are, says nothing about you other than you are attracted to the same sex. It wasn't until I came to London that things really began to come to the fore and there was this real identity battle between these two narratives. And at the time, it was the height of the AIDS crisis. I remember going to see the pastor of my church uh, at the time. You know, he was very supportive of me, but he went on sabbatical for six months and must have done a handover to somebody who came in who was horrified absolutely horrified that I might have these same-sex attractions or, you know, might be calling myself gay. And he said, OK, Mark, I know what we can do for you. And so he sent me to what was the first AIDS hospice at the time in Britain. And there was a counsellor there and he took me for a little tour around the wards. And I saw, you know, men my age, I was about 21, 22 at the time, seriously ill, and it was horrifying, it was really shocking, you know. 
And then he took me up into his office, he sat me down and he said, right then, young man, if you don't sort yourself out, that's where you will be soon, you know. And it was it was real shock therapy, in inverted commas. And I came away from there thinking, oh God, you know, please just get me out of this this kind of conundrum because I just don't know how to resolve this. And I think, you know, for a period of time that blocked any progress really. I I just put my sexuality in a drawer and I just shut it and I threw myself into church work and my faith. from Uganda. I came to UK in 2013, November. I left Uganda because of my sexuality, of fear of being persecuted, and my dad disowned me. I grew up in really strange Christian family. Every Sunday, unless you're ill, you have to go to church. So, you know, in church they could also preach like homosexuality. It's a sin. Those who practice homosexuality, they will go to hell. They will be burnt. So I would pray, I would cry every day. Like, let me wake up and when this thing is gone. But still, the feelings can't go away. So, like, you'll go to church and pretend. That's the way you can fit in the society. You can't just come out and say, I'm gay. No, it can't happen. I went to Kampala every year, Christmas time, to my auntie's place. I joined this group. Its name was Secret Group. That's how they used to call it. That's how I started feeling really, really attracted to girls and I fell in love with joy. She was so welcoming when she saw me. So I could call her, we talk. Then I could tell her when I come to Kampala, we'll have fun. So that's how we started becoming friends. At home, my dad told me I'm not going back to Kampala to my aunt because now I've finished my senior six, I should get married. I told him I'm not ready, but he's like, you're not going to live here. So it was 2004 is when he got me someone and he told me he's come for you, you should go with him. I was happy because he lived in Kampala and I knew I was going to meet Joy. 
was horrible. It was like you're living a double life because they are forcing you to do something which you don't enjoy. Beat you. We tried for all these years, about nine years, to manage the relationship. Me being in with a man and also balancing with her because the man was somehow busy. So I would have time to be with her. She could come all the time to help out. So it was a bit hard. So it was 2012. During Easter time, my husband confronted me and said he's had rumors that I sleep with women. Then I asked him, who told you? He told me, my neighbor, and she told me that you paid her to keep quiet. So I denied, but he he slapped me. He was even eating food. He threw a plate on me, and he went and picked a knife, and he told me, if you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to cut your throat. I told him, okay, if that's what you had, it's fine. But my daughter started crying, and he grabbed her and took her outside. So I had a chance to escape. My dad called me as well. When he heard my voice, he's like, where are you? So that I can come for you. So I feared and I just left. In 2017 is when I got a friend whom I had known long from Uganda and he's also gay. I told him what I was going through. I'm here, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. He mentioned about the church where they accept gay people and he said it's normal here, you can do anything. No one will throw stones or do anything to you. You can't go back because you go back at the airport only, hmm. they'll get you. We are along the canal, just down from Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire. I, I come here just, to, it, it helps me ground myself in nature because of the water. And it's somewhere where I come to pray and to think during lunch breaks and things like that. I'm a social worker with children for a local authority. I've been a social worker for 20 years. I come from a working class family and there were eight of us growing up. So there was a lot of us. There wasn't lots of money going around. It was my mum who instilled Christian values and the idea of service to community. You know, you get back what you put in and you get back by serving others. And so that's the kind of backdrop to everything that I do really in, in my work in life. I serve God through serving others in the world and through trying to make sure that there is a level playing field for people out there. And the same with church. It's about building up a community that serves, a community that goes out there and serves others in the name of God.
luxuries and the comforts that we enjoy today in this country as an LGBT group were won and they were hard won. The spaces in this church are hard fought for and hard won by all of us. I went and sat there quietly, just watching what's going on. I'm like, well, they know that I'm gay. Just looking around in case someone comes to attack you. I was a bit frightened. So when they started preaching, I'm like, oh, okay. I had to sit and listen, and I sat near the door so that when they sat there, I'll, <laughs> I'll take off. But it was quite okay. Up to now, I like it. I feel like I'm at home. Initially, when I went along to NCC, being from very traditional Welsh evangelical roots, it took me a while to kind of get used to the kind of inclusive language style. But I think at the same time, what drew me in was the recognition that not everybody's coming from the same background as me. Its stated mission is to be inclusive, to embrace absolutely everyone, and we're all children of God. Full stop. Although the worship was very different, it felt very much like that Pentecostal church that I first walked into when I was 12 years old, and I could feel Jesus there. It felt like being at home. I've gladly been a, a part of MCC, and I must say, in terms of a, a family, a community of people who love one another, second to none, they're, they're a wonderful bunch. They have supported me individually and as a group through all sorts of stuff. You know, wherever the crisis has been, MCC family have been there. I think it's because for a lot of people who go to MCC, they have all experienced rejection, and for some, they've paid a, a bigger price than others. Thanks to the people of Metropolitan Community Church for their warmth and generosity and especially those who had the courage to share their stories for this podcast. And special thanks also to Rainbow Pilgrims for the work they've been doing to collect overlooked stories about sexuality, migration and faith. If you want to find out more about their work, head to www.rainbowpilgrims.com. This episode of The Story was produced and presented by me, Lucia Scadzocchio, and the executive producer for The Guardian was Max Sanderson. If you like what you hear, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcasts. And if you want to get in touch, send us an email to podcasts at theguardian.com. Thanks for listening.
For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Listen up, I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win.